This is the first time I've ever been in a state where I didn't run into anyone who didn't know there was an election. Hello, and from the Grio, I'm your co-host, Dr. Christina Greer. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Jason Johnson, and you're listening to What's In It For Us. Yes. Well, thank you for tuning into the special episode. As you know, the Georgia elections were yesterday and we had to make sure that we cover it as soon as possible and tell you the benefits to us. We'll resume our regular show release next Wednesday at 5 p.m. So, Dr. Johnson, we got a lot to talk about this week. One, the election results and why they're such a huge deal in Georgia. Two, what is next for the Democrats, for the ragtag Republicans, and for President-elect Joe Biden? Three, Stacey Abrams, Stacey Abrams, Stacey Abrams. It's like Stacey, 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 kind of like Tony, Tony, Tony. And the organization that she has, not just in Georgia, but across Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, Wisconsin, and what does that future look like for her? And then last, but definitely not least, the Electoral College. And what's the future there? Basically, y'all, this election is as important. Imagine you get like a brand new car. You ain't got no tires. These are the tires. If this election did not go this way, Joe Biden has no tires. Get this guy moving. So the discussion of what these guys are going to be able to do and what we have possible. And now the way we can pressure this government, that's what's in it for us. We just had some breaking news, and I'm just going to read this off and hear what Dr. Greer has to say. What I have to say, Trump supporters have breached the Capitol building. This is Wednesday, tearing down four layers of security fencing and are attempting to occupy the building, fighting federal police who are overrun. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Thousands of police can't stop them. The Capitol building has asked Hill staffers to evacuate, while at the same time, senators are speaking on the Senate floor that I can see on my back screen. Dr. Greer, I don't know what the hell is in any of this for us. But what's in this for America? Well, so much for Blue Lives Matter. These are the same people who have the Confederate flag, the Blue Lives Matter flag, the Trump flag, and the don't tread on me. And the Nazi flag in their back pocket. Yeah, exactly. And with some swastikas. This is something that we've talked about, Jason, for quite some time. This is the monster that the Republicans have created. We just saw the video of a Trump supporter accosting Republican Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, accusing him of being a traitor and not supporting the president, accusing him of supporting a stolen election with Joe Biden. This is the dragon that they have made. This is the dragon that they've cultivated and fed and bred for the past four plus years. Actually started with Sarah Palin. Actually, this is the foundation of our nation. You've just taken the eggs out of the ground. It's like a worst case scenario, Jurassic Park. And now certain Republicans are looking at this saying, okay, Donald Trump is leaving, but what are we supposed to do with these rabid fans of his, this cult, these sycophantic voters who do not believe we've got 30% of Americans who do not believe that Joe Biden is the legitimate president of this nation. They have taken to Washington, D.C., the seat of our democracy and our democratic republic. And now they are attacking the very institution that has been coddling them for the entire tenure of the Trump administration, and they don't know what to do. And so many cops stood by and stood next to these supporters when they marched through the streets, chanting whatever it was, burning their Black Lives Matter flags. And now it has become more of them. They are more armed. They are more rabid. They are angrier. And the Republicans now have to look at themselves to say, how do we fix this? Don't put it on Joe Biden, he didn't create this monster, but we need to figure out how to protect the safety of all Americans and police officers, some of whom agree with these protesters, now have to try and control them whilst also on the low low, believing that what they're doing is right. Well, you remember what I said before about how sometimes the only difference between the cops and the Klan is how they want to go about doing what they're doing. I've said it several times, that old 60s chant, the cops and the Klan go hand.
hand in hand. That's where you get this from. If the police and the FBI and national security agencies were as aggressive about white nationalist movements as they are about Black Lives Matter, as they are about American Indians protesting destruction of their land, if they cared about these actual terrorists, people who are trying to kidnap and kill governors, as much as they care about people who are just fighting for their right to live and survive peaceably in this country, we wouldn't have these problems. I will say this, because we don't know how this is going to work. This is just breaking news. We just wanted to say this quickly. Obviously, I and Dr. Greer don't want anyone to get hurt. We don't want to see anyone die. We don't want to see anyone be harmed. But I'm going to say this, and I've been saying this for a long time, as two political scientists, we know this. If this was happening in any other part of the world, we would be saying this is ethnic conflict at the level of the Balkans, what we see in the Middle East, where you have an ethnic group that is going to war with other people, and they have an unhinged, unhealthy, dangerous leader. Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton can't control these people. This is a cult that is uniquely led by Donald Trump. And even when Donald Trump contradicts them, they will still go in his last order because they're already sort of metastasizing and operating in any way that they can. Joe Biden and Senator Harris need to shut this down. They need to make sure they have aggressive, aggressive policing of these forces because this is terrorism. And if these people, I'm seeing this video, chaotic pro-Trump protests right outside of Capitol. These people are marching through the streets right now. I promise you, if it was five black people with Black Lives Matter signs, they'd be getting tear gas right now. Jason, we don't even have to play out that scenario. We know that if it Because we've seen it. We've seen it. We know it. I mean, the judge just said that the young man who- James Blake could get shot in the back. Seven times in front of his family and everybody can just walk home. I know this was a dear friend of yours and so I don't want to open up old wounds, but we never had an honest conversation after Dylan Roof went into that church in South Carolina. Not only did he kill nine innocent parishioners, he killed a sitting state senator. And we didn't talk about the fact that he killed an elected official. We did not really talk about the fact that Megan Whitmer was saying, not only did they threaten me and my family, the larger plan that was uncovered was that they would start kidnapping every single Democratic elected official, kidnapping them and killing them off on a weekly basis until they got what they wanted. And so now we see these individuals beyond Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. We need to make sure that we root out the white supremacists that are in the D.C. Police Department, in all the police departments. This is a report that came out in 2010 from the FBI that said white nationalists have been systematically implanting themselves in our police forces in a deliberate way. We know we've already had them in our police force. This has been a concerted effort to make sure that they were in our police forces and our correction systems and our military. And we need to make sure that once we get this under control, there has to be certain commissions to make sure that we root those individuals out because they are aiding and abetting this dangerous behavior. I gave a tremendous amount of credit to his now passed, rest in peace, Senator John McCain. And let's not be fooled, John McCain was a conservative. John McCain was the first Republican senator in 2006 who was saying that we need to add neo-Nazi and white nationalist insignia to the gang tats, that if you're caught having them, you can't get in the military. Because they were like, oh, if you're a Crip or you're a Blood or you were 12th Street, whatever, we're not going to let you in the military. But they were letting people in with iron crosses all the damn time. And McCain was like, yo, these people are just as dangerous. They're going to the military. They're learning how to train shooting brown people in the Middle East. And then they're taking those skills back here. That's what we're seeing right now. Look, actually, I think this crowd is bigger than what you saw at Trump's inauguration. By the way, none of these people are wearing masks. But anyway, we have to remember that going forward, what's in it for us is our very lives. And our very lives are at stake if we do not push this government to handle this kind of business. Well, domestic terrorism is real. And we have to recognize that's what's in it for us. We have to recognize that we have to undo not just 400 years of this, but the last four years explicitly, we've had a president actively working against Black people, point blank. That's what's in it for us. OK, 
okay, Dr. Johnson. Now, you know, I got to talk about what's been on our timeline. So I got a text from you and you were like, Chrissy, what is this show, Bridgerton? We got to watch Bridgerton. I had not planned on watching Bridgerton, but I watched all eight episodes. Sir, how many episodes have you watched? I have watched a grand total of one episode of Bridgerton because that is as much. <laughs> look, my blackness does not allow me to stomach more Your than Grace, one. why could you not watch more episodes of Bridgerton? No, no. It's just rage inducing on so many different levels. Talk to me, Your Grace. So maybe I should just talk like I'm from Bridgerton the entire episode. I will throw things at you through this thing. Y'all don't know the level of violence that I get from Dr. Greer, but I will throw something at her in this video <laughs> if she talks like that for the rest of the show. I will hang up this microphone and I will go to Puna House myself. Well, I just feel like, you know, talk no, to my mother you know about I feel this. Like? I feel like shows that say they're race neutral in casting should actually be race neutral in casting. Yes. And if you're going to be race neutral in casting, then don't use a brown bag test for every single person that you actually Oh, cast. listen. They use a bleached brown bag. <laughs> they're Lord. like, let's find the lightest brown bag we can find, please. The only black girl that you have is pregnant out of wedlock. The black dude who's the lead is sleeping with a woman who, look, I know that in actual age that they're close in age, the woman looks like she's 12. And I know that was okay at the time, but she looks 12. I will say this. If you watch the show, she definitely grows into her power, I guess you will. There's some interesting sexual tensions, I guess. I won't give away for those who are going to watch the show. I've heard it ain't nothing but screwing past episode four. That's what I was told. What's fascinating is there's only one passing one minute exchange between your grace and his godmother person that alludes to how black people are even in the show. Oh yeah. Because the queen is black and she's married to a white king and that is how black people come to be a part of society. That is literally a 45 second conversation and then we just take it on colorblind casting slash brown paper bags. What I find hilarious is whoever did the casting though has utterly confused my mother because she watched the show. Of course I have to have inflections but she watched the show and she could not tell any of the brothers apart. So she was thoroughly confused <laughs> because she thought all three brothers, all three Bridgerton brothers who have the dark hair and they all look like a Jonas knockoffs. Yes, thank she you. thought that they were all the same person. So when they were dating various people, she was thoroughly <laughs> confused about the entire show. I do wonder why now this type of show, but it seems as though folks are really jazzed about it. They want a second season. I think it's just a Harlequin romance on TV. It's like a smutty snuff novel and escapism. So I'm going to say the cruel part, and then I'm going to be careful about how I say this because I know how yeah, people get in their feelings. Don't get us thrown off. You know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Uh, it's 2021. <laughs> grand opening, grand closing of this podcast. Just started. <laughs> I will say this is what Chandra Rhymes writes. She writes these sort of white society, Western society worshiping shows and find ways for black and brown people who have been generally excluded from these experiences to get into them. If you're into that, that's fine. I tend to find it offensive and annoying and cloying. I think the idea that magically we can screw our way into racial equality, it has never worked at any point in history. It never works at any point in time. Just because some white guy marries a black woman doesn't necessarily mean black people are invited into society. There are inherent flaws and inherent bigotry and racism that you claim you're going to overlook in order to make this race neutral. The bustiers, the dresses, those were created so that white European women could reenact and recreate the bodies of black women. Literally, the costuming alone, the white wig are dehumanizing and delegitimizing black hair. So you say you're going to make it race neutral, but you put it in this high society idea that was based on the destruction and colonization of our people. I find that annoying. You want a race neutral show? Give me like Brandy Cinderella from the 90s, <laughs> right? Where the family would have, they have like a Filipino dad and a black mom and a German brother. And like, they did not care. That's race neutral. Where did this Japanese cat come from? It's like, well, you know, we're colorblind cats. They got a Pokemon, the whole thing. That is 
is race neutral casting. This is not race neutral casting. This is just light skin casting. This is The Bachelor. Well, but I think that was my issue. And so the counter to that argument, Jason, would be Shonda didn't write the show. This is based on novels. It's just a production company. But we have to sort of take it a parcel in the larger context. Let's look at Scandal. It's like Olivia Pope is allergic to black men. And the one that she did have, she was like, oh, God. Absolutely. The one black dude they cast in Scandal is like the least attractive dude they picked. I was like, where'd they get this herb from? But you also remember the show that Shonda did afterwards, which was like a version of Romeo and Juliet. No, I'm thinking of How to Get Away with Murder, where Annalise destroys that black man's life. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like- which is the other part of the violence. Every single show that she seems to put her name on seems to want to fulfill this fantasy. Look, it's like people, and I get it, and I want to make this abundantly clear to the world, just because you like Scandal or How to Get Away with Murder, I like the first season How to Get Away, or Bridgerton, doesn't mean you're some self-loathing black person who blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, the reason that we think these shows are romantic, the reason we think these shows are okay is because we've been bombarded from birth with this notion that European Victorian high society is the peak of high society. That's the same thing that the slave masters tried to recreate. And by the way, since we never envision our own princes and princesses, it's always struck me as interesting. You think about the princess and the frog, how they refuse to give her a black prince. You think about coming to America, which you love, but coming to America is always used as a comedy. It's not discussed as a princess fantasy, but it is. Yeah. It is. Well, at the end, he says, do you want to give up all this? And she says, nah. Yeah. Let's also be clear. It was 1988. The lack of colorblind casting is also real. There's a reason why Lisa is the sister who always gets the good ones and Patrice is not. Right, exactly. One day we'll just have a black TV movie episode. My name is Frida and I'm the best. All the DJs want to put my breast. Igga, 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 igga. Listen, I know every single inch of that movie. Don't test me. We will have a whole podcast episode that is one hour and 48 minutes long where I just basically recreate the entire movie. Musical instruments and all. We're just going to do a script read of Coming to America. We should do that right before the sequel comes out. I will do the script read, but I will play all of the characters. Like, <laughs> how about that? I don't even just need to do Eddie Murphy's characters. I want to do all of the characters. Oha. And daddy name him Cassius. His name is Cassius. <laughs> I want to do John Amos. You know who actually steals the movie? And then we got to move on to, I guess, real politics. But who steals the movie is Frankie Faison, okay? Because first things first, when King Joffrey Jaffer comes into the apartment and Frankie Faison's in Hakeem's apartment and he's like, you are not Hakeem. And he says, I know this. <laughs> and then he goes over to the photograph and he looks at Prince Hakeem, employee of the month, and he's like, what is this? And Frankie Faison takes a beat, looks at it while he chews on his cigar in the jacuzzi and he says, a photograph. <laughs> As though the kid doesn't know what to, okay we can't go down the coming to America rabbit hole but I will say this before the point March 5th is, we should have black fantasies and Bridgerton is problematic and if you want to love Bridgerton fine I think the show is problematic and I will say this one positive thing for me and this goes back to I enjoy problematic self-absorbed white girl dramas I like Felicity I used to watch Allie McBeal I can watch uh, Sex and the City for me I would rather watch a show about all white people than watch a show that tries to bring in black people who don't behave or act in any way that's remotely familiar to me that's my problem. Because the plot of Bridgerton in and of itself is actually kind of entertaining. It's the race stuff that bothers Right. We don't actually need the faux race nonsense to make it robust. Yeah. I would just watch it. I was like, okay, that's cool. But hey, Netflix knows that we watch movies and we're trapped in quarantine too. So here it is. Okay. Well, that's what was on our timeline this week. Boom.
Okay, Dr. Johnson, the election is over. Not according to Kelly Loeffler. <laughs> right. Not according to David Perdue. Well, and not according to people in Pennsylvania and Arizona and Michigan now, clearly, but bad precedents being set. So it looks as though Reverend Warnock has beaten Kelly Loeffler. John Ossoff is a tighter margin, but it's looking as though he will be victorious. Talk to us about why this particular election is so important. We know all eyes have been on Georgia ever since November 3rd, when we knew there was going to be a runoff. It was about turnout, 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 registration on both sides. But when we talked before the show, you were telling me about hearing conservative talk radio still telling Republicans don't come out and vote. So how do you think this mixed messaging affected the vote? But also let's talk about those margins that are still quite slim. This wasn't a blowout for the Democrats by any stretch of the imagination. So there's a reason I'm wearing this t-shirt today. This is how you pronounce it. This is Barack Obama's high school. Now there's a reason I'm wearing this shirt because it's a reminder of what actually happens and why candidates matter. Barack Obama did things because he was Barack Obama. There were things he accomplished because he was Barack Obama. And Barack Obama never even won Georgia. Having Reverend Raphael Warnock, a Morehouse man, at the top of that ticket, because let's be honest, even though it was four people running, it really was Republicans versus the black guy running. That was the difference in this race. When you give people, when you give the base of the Democratic Party, black people, somebody black who is familiar with their community to work with, when you give them a Stacey Abrams, when you give them a Raphael Warnock, that is when people will be enthused. That is when they will turn out the vote. That is when they will break records. And that's when they will break numbers. And when, on the flip side, when you don't have someone to galvanize the MAGA base of the Republican Party, when you don't have Donald Trump at the top of that ticket, there are large numbers of Republicans. And I think Republicans are different from MAGA people, but there are Republicans who are like, you know what, I don't really care that much. And then you got MAGA people who decide to sit home. And as I was telling Dr. Greer before, I was listening to local radio when I was in Atlanta. I was there for like two days. I was there for election day. Every single radio station, conservative station, Y'all know that talk radio is all conservative now, right? Liberals went to the internet. So talk radio was nothing but crazy conservative. And all they talked about is it's rigged, it's garbage, it's trash. Brian Kemp is trash. Brian <laughs> Kemp is trash. Kelly Leffler is trash. David Perdue is trash. John Ossoff is this. Literally, I will tell you this, the depth and dearth of conservative talk radio. Do you know that there was actually a radio show where they were sitting around and they were talking about whether or not they would want to date Stacey Abrams? That's what conservatives were talking about during prime time and drive time when there's an election that literally would be the difference in any of their agenda existing. They weren't in the game. Republicans were not in the game in Georgia, and the Democrats were because they had somebody at the top of the ticket, like Obama, who could galvanize. So I'm wearing my Trust Black Women sweatshirt. Shout out to my best friend from ninth grade for sending me this. And so, because Black women stay organizing, when Stacey Abrams had the election stolen from her in 2018, and everyone said, well, she should run for Senate. She's like, well, I'm not a mercenary. I don't run for offices just because I have nothing else to do and I'm unemployed. Just because boys do that, that's not what she chose to do. She cares about policy. She cares about Black people. She cares about Georgia. So running just for the sake of running wasn't in her card. She stayed organizing, unlike somebody who went on a Texas road trip to clear his head for two weeks. She actually got to work and delivered Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Georgia in 2020. So when we move forward, though, thinking about, let's just say Warnock and Ossoff are certified and they are the two Democratic senators from the state of Georgia. What does that mean for you, Jason, for the Democrats now having essentially the majority with Kamala Harris in a new, very powerful position position, as the decider. What does that mean for the GOP now that Mitch McConnell will presumably be the minority leader? Will we start to see some Republicans have a touch of a backbone because the big bully is no longer in town and Mitch McConnell's power has decreased just a little bit? And then what does Biden do? Since he still thinks that he can roll with these Republicans that he's known forever, but hey, these guys have changed and they are no longer his friends the way he probably thinks they are. And I don't want him to waste time the way Barack Obama did for eight years. Like, hey, guys, 
guys, aren't we still friends? Be friends with me. We don't have time for that. We need an agenda. We need a legislative agenda. And because Joe Biden has been very clear that he's an institutionalist, he believes in moving policy forward in a legislative way. He does not want to just do executive orders and have things easily come and easily go with the next administration. So he wants to pass things legislatively, something that Donald Trump wasn't interested in because he didn't know what he didn't know. And he had no idea how to work with the majority that he had coming in in 2017. So what's next for the Democrats, for the GOP, and for Biden moving forward? So there's a lot of different ways to interpret this. And I think it was Fair Fight. It was New Georgia Project. It was Black Voters Matter with Latasha Brown. It was Galeo. There are organizations down there for API. Project South. Shout out Project South. Yeah, Project South, the Black Male Voter Project. There are a lot of different organizations. I ran into the ACLU when I was down there. There are a lot of different organizations down there. And this is not to say that the Democratic Party didn't do work, but it took all of these organizations working for years and years and years and years and years. If there were a Black colloquialism for the last two years of Stacey Abrams' life after she was robbed, it's basically like, I bet. That's pretty much the last two years. Like, this is what you're going to do? All right, fine, pull up. That's what happened over the last two years. But I think what's important is that Stacey has a particularly unique set of skills and talents and abilities, but there are people, if they were willing to do the work, who could do this in other states. And I think that's the important thing for the Democratic Party as a whole to understand. We don't know if Georgia is Virginia, which is now just going to be reliably blue because Northern Virginia just kept growing got more diverse and it changed Virginia from being a black and white state to a black, brown, Asian, Muslim, blah, blah, blah state. Is that where Georgia's going? Or is Georgia Ohio, where it's going to flip back and forth depending on the ideology of who happens to be running at the time? It's not uncommon to have states where you have a governor of one party and senators from another. New York has Mm -hmm. Republican governors all the time and they always have Democratic senators. California has Republican governors, has Democratic senators. It can happen both ways. Right now you got to have that in Louisiana, Democratic governor to Republican senators. Mm -hmm. So there's a lesson to be learn about long-term organizing and what that means. Points for John Ossoff, he raised a whole lot of money, $100 million on his own. But I hope that the lesson learned from this isn't that rolling out a whole new generation of Mayor Pete Beto John. Yes, child. It's like, no, that's not how you do it. Because John Ossoff doesn't win this race without Raphael Warnock. It was Warnock Listen, who got him to drag John Ossoff over the line. Beto, Pete, and Ossoff are basically the three brothers from Bridgerton. I can't really tell them apart. I mean, hey, that. that's called the I'm going to say that tonight and I will refer, yes, that's perfect. Like, they're the same to me. Resume thin is the day is long. And I guess for me, I'm trying to celebrate, but I do get frustrated when we can sit here for the next 20 minutes and rattle off Reverend Warnock's CV. And we can sit here for the next 20 seconds and rattle off John Ossoff's. And somehow they're on the same stage. And for me, the frustration I feel when I'm on panels with people where it's like, I know I'm Dr. Christina Greer with an award-winning book and tenure at a university and a PhD, and I'm with a blogger. Oh, okay. (laughs) We're equal? That's cool. Hey, she has 105 million followers on TikTok. Okay, so there. That matters more than your PhD. So I think that's a frustrating thing for me. But I want to drill down on something that you mentioned in passing as I'm wearing my Trust Black Women sweatshirt because I want to talk about Stacey Abrams. I got the poster still on my wall. I got the magnet on my fridge. I have the tote bag, the first thing you see when you walk into my home. I'm serious about Stacey Abrams for governor. I was devastated with the theft of 2018. And it's not some sort of, oh, let it go, sour grapes. This was an institutional systemic theft. We know that Stacey Abrams has built organizational foundations in other states. And I don't think it's a cult of personality. No. 
No. Because she only comes out and does TV and stuff like that when it's campaign season. Stacey Abrams is not all up in the videos. She wants to be about the work. If yeah. she could just sit in the office and write and work on policy, that's what she would do. But she's kind of Obama-esque in that way where it's like, I recognize I have to be good at campaigning so I can get to the governance phase. Now we're in this weird waiting period because obviously the 2022 conversation is going to start. We also know that there are going to be some folks in Georgia who want to flex Democrats and see themselves as candidates for 2022. I've heard certain mayors are interested in that job. Sit down. Sit all the way down. That's what I heard. That's the word on the curb. And I would say sit all the way down and don't go nowhere. Okay. <laughs> don't write checks that your butt can't cash. I haven't said anything. I like having a pass in and out of the city. Well, I don't need to go to Atlanta. Not right now. I'll hang out in Albany, Georgia and Savannah. <laughs> What would you see as the future right now for the next two years? The future is pretty obvious. Brian Kemp is a wounded duck. He's not DeSantis. DeSantis is popular in his own weird, crazy way. And plus, his rival, Gillum, ran into political scandals, which would make it difficult for him to challenge again. Democrats are going to have to come up with a whole new person in the midst of COVID and all sorts of other issues. Stacey Abrams has stayed politically active, organized, and has shown works. Things have grown from the tree that she built. She justified her criticisms and questions about the election process in 2018. And rather than looking like sour grapes, as you said, she looked like someone's like, oh, okay, I'm going to keep working and look what I'm going to do. Whilst living rent free inside of Donald Trump's head, inside of every Republican's head. And living, yeah. So you won't let a black woman be governor to get a Jewish American and a black guy. There you go. That's what you get. Karma. That's what you biggest get. She will run for governor again. I can't imagine that she wouldn't run for governor. See, Brian Kemp has also been damaged in this election because he picks Kelly Leffler and the MAGA crowd wanted Doug Collins. Donald mm -hmm. Trump wanted Doug Collins. So you've got the MAGA people who are like, Brian Kemp, you didn't pick the person who wanted to win. You picked Kelly Leffler, who was a no chance, no count person. The economy is not doing well in the state like it is around the rest of the country because he doesn't manage COVID particularly well. Georgia, it's the eighth highest COVID rate in the country. I heard that on the radio on the way to the plane this morning when I was leaving. Their hospitals are at full capacity and they're losing hospitals, rural hospitals every 15 minutes. Yes. If you leave Metro Atlanta, it can take you an hour to get to an emergency room, depending on where you are. He's not not going to have a lot to run on. And what he also is going to face, it's not just blue waves. Like we were saying, it's not hero worship. It's not fantasy. Abrams and other people down there have put together organizations. And they put together organizations that recognize that Joe Biden's victory by 12,000 and Raphael Warnock's victory by 35 and John Ossoff's victory by maybe 10,000. It took all of this to get those slim margins. So these aren't people who are going to rest on their laws. Part of why the Republicans got in trouble is because after they robbed Stacey Abrams, they chilled for a minute and then they got smacked in other areas and they had to rush and reorganize themselves going into 2020. Now they had staff and people on the ground, but that's what we're looking at. Stacey Abrams is going to run for governor. It's similar to when we had the Senate situation in 2019, where you had a whole bunch of people who were waiting to see if Abrams was going to get into the race. And once she made it clear, hey, this ain't what I want to do, then it opened up. I think anyone would be stupid to run against her in the Democratic Party for governor. Oh my goodness. You clearly would have fallen in, bumped all of your heads. I do think that what's been so fascinating is how Stacey Abrams has been able to articulate to Georgia and the rest of the country, which is like Kemp and Raffelsberger are not the saviors no. against Donald Trump. They're defending the system that they built. Yes. They're defending the system that has ostracized and excluded Black voters in particular, but it is a 
deliberate way that they were trying to disenfranchise people. And now they have to pay the piper. This is racist cops down south getting into a fight with the Klan. They both ultimately have the same goal. <laughs> it's just like, y'all do it in hoods and we do it with a pen. And you guys are screwing up our process. And I'll tell you, that call was on every single person's lips. I heard Latasha Brown said this, who runs Black Voters Matter. And I saw the same thing when I was down there such that I could, obviously being masked and trying to keep myself safe from COVID. Latasha said, this is the first time I've ever been in a state where I didn't run into anyone who didn't know there was an election. Mm. That is huge because Dr. Green, we all know that. There's always been some election going on where we ask a student or a friend or a Yes, and it's our entire world and they're like, say what now? Right, there's an election tomorrow? <laughs> it's like, we've only been talking about it everywhere. When you mentioned Ohio, I think that that's a really important comparison because seeing some of the exit polls and conversations with people in Georgia, they're like, I'm excited for this race to end because I'm tired of people calling me. I'm tired of people from within Georgia calling me. I'm tired of folks from New York City calling right. me. I'm tired of looking in my mailbox and seeing 85 pieces of literature. I want this election to end so I can actually just think about other things other than politics. There's going to be a nice sigh of relief for Democrats that the peach is now blue. Okay, so let's just move on lastly to where I think we might diverge just a little bit, Dr. Johnson, the Electoral College. So I think the one upside of Donald Trump being president is that so many Americans have had to learn civics. All these dates that have come and gone that we've never paid attention to, all of a sudden, December 14th is a date. And it's like, oh, wow, these are when the electors are certified at my state house, right? January 6th is a date because, oh my goodness, this is when Congress certifies the Electoral College votes, January 20th. I mean, these are dates that have just come and gone in the past. And now because of Donald Trump, because of his corruption, because of his insistence on trying to steal the shreds of small D Democratic crumbs that we have around this nation, people have been paying attention. Where do you see the Electoral College going? You alluded to this when Republicans recognize that it no longer works in their favor. Of course, they'll abandon it, but it still very much works in their favor. And I don't see D.C. or Puerto Rico becoming states anytime soon. And so this is the system we have. We'll have it for a while, but you're going to see. And I remember the first example of this I remember as a kid. I don't know if you remember this because, you know, I don't know if you were paying attention with your fancy education and your fancy little private schools. <laughs> the rest of us who were scrapping the scrapping out in the hood the way that I was. In the, the ghettos. Yes, in the ghettos. Young Jason Johnson <laughs> growing ghetto. up in the ghettos. That's a quote from George H.W. Bush, just by the way. I love the, saying the ghetto. Ghettos. He had a great speech about it. And that. I will throw a shoe <laughs> at you like people did at George Bush. Uh, <laughs> so when OJ got off and suddenly I remember seeing all the talk shows and stuff in the 90s, you'd have these angry white people who were coming forward and saying, the jury system is wrong. The jury system, they were talking about jury nonification, all of these obscure archaic laws because that black man got away with physically abusing and we don't know if he killed his wife, but we know he was physically abusive to her before she was killed. The fact that he got off made all these people angry and they wanted to change up all these laws. You always see a certain segment of the white American population asking for fundamental change to laws when they don't get things to go their way. In the short term, we're going to see, just like we saw after Barack Obama got elected, we're going to see voter suppression alike so that we ain't never seen. Welcome back, Jim Crow. All of that is going to go crazy after this election, which is why two things need to happen, because this has to do with what our future is going to be and Warnock and Ossoff. And I think this is important for everybody to really understand. The moment those guys are seated, they need to pass voting rights acts. They need to do every single law they Joe and Lewis voting rights The John rights Lewis act. Voting Rights Act is on the table, yes. Jason. They need to do all of those things as soon as possible because you're going to see a backlash as other Republican-led legislatures, not even Republican state, but Republican-led legislatures are going to try and come up with all sorts of tricks to keep this sort of thing from happening. Here's the other thing to take into consideration. The center won't hold, okay? We're not going to be at a 50-50 split for a long time. Something 
something's going to happen. The last time we had this happen was right after the 2000 election. And Jim Jeffords was a Republican. He went from being a Republican to an independent to caucusing with the Democrats. I don't trust Joe Manchin. Do you? <laughs> How long do we think we're going to have a 50-50 split before somebody feels like they aren't being listened to in their own party? Their party has left them. So they need to push through as much legislation as possible. And Joe Biden, who I'm livid with because of the Merrick Garland pick, I don't know if we're going to be able to get to that. But Joe Biden, who I don't trust and who I always thought was problematic, but I thought he could actually win an election. Joe Biden needs to have a personal sit-down conversation with all of the remaining older liberal people on the Supreme Court and say, hey, you really want to do this? Because we got a 50-50 split right now. We need to get in some judges fast. Supreme Court, federal judges, fast, fast, fast. We might need to look into removing some of these judges that Trump put in if we can find out that they didn't cross an I or dot a T. We got to do that stuff now while we run the Senate. And so we'll talk about the AG pick in much more detail next week when we reconvene. But I will say, as frustrating as the Merrick Garland pick is, and he hasn't been confirmed yet, so he might be a two-time loser, but <laughs> the number two, three, and four picks, all women who are highly respected in their various capacities. I mean, Kristen Clark is an old friend and brilliant on so many levels. Vanita, it looks like there could be some substantive change because we know that they're going to have to undo so much of the Jeff Sessions, Bill Barr damage that has been done in the past four years. That makes me happy. I'm not thrilled. It just makes me happy. I saw Kristen Clark in particular. I think that's going to be a good thing, but I don't want them to waste this time. They need to run through as much legislation as is humanly possible while you have these two guys in there. I do think their positions are relatively stable. Governors are actually a lot more volatile as far as being elected in and out, but I think they're going to keep. That being said, begs the question, what's in it for us? Thank you for listening to What's In It For Us. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. And please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments, especially to me, to podcast at thegrio.com. The What's In It For Us podcast is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Kevin Y. Brown and produced by Abdul Kadoos. As a quick reminder, What's In It For Us fam, we will resume back to our regular show release next week, Wednesday at 5 p.m. 